Now Playing Podcast is brought to you in part by Omni Consumer Products. Imagine an end to crime, an end to poverty. Imagine two million good jobs waiting to be filled. Sounds like a dream, doesn't it? Well, sometimes dreams come true. Delta City. For our children. Delta City. I'd buy that for a dollar. All Detroit has a cancer. The cancer is crime. We need a 24-hour-a-day police officer. A cop who doesn't need to eat or sleep. A cop with superior firepower and the reflexes to use it. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you to the future of law enforcement. You call me RoboCop. This is now playing's RoboCop retrospective series. I like it! Hosted by Arnie. This guy is really good. He's not a guy, he's a machine. Jacob. If you just talk things out with people instead of firing that big gun of his. And Stuart. You're perfect. I must have you. Their prime directives are serve the public trust, provide detailed plot spoilers, and use harsh language. Bad language makes for bad feelings. Listener discretion is advised. Oh, yeah. Go get him, boy. Today we're discussing... RoboCop 3, starring nobody from the previous films. <laughs> Nancy <laughs> Allen's oh, here. On. Yeah, exactly. Don't uh, underestimate Johnson here. He's hanging on. Yeah, right. And I guess the police chief's there, too. But really, <laughs> this movie is starring Robert John Burke. Nancy Allen. Yeah, all right. She's back. Rip Torn. John Castle. Jill Hennessy. Mako. CCH Pounder. Basically, the entire cast of late 90s NBC television. <laughs> and directed by Fred Decker. I'm Arnie, the co-host of Now Playing, who's loyal as a puppy. Stuart in L.A. And this is your part man, part machine, all podcasting host, Jacob. Yeah, what do you do when Nancy Allen wants to do something else? I mean, well, she was here. Everybody else was gone, but she was here. Yeah, but she's begging to get off. I mean, I knew that things would not be great with RoboCop 3 with Peter Weller not returning. That's not a good sign for me. But everything feels disarray. I mean, the studio itself. It's worth pointing out, Orion Pictures, by the time this is coming out, is broken and being dismantled. It is, in fact, being hacked to bits, and this is being spat out, I think, conjoined with MGM. Yeah, this is when MGM started taking over ownership of the RoboCop franchise. Now, Peter Weller not coming back. He didn't really want to come back for two. They added a zero. They probably couldn't add another zero. <laughs> no, I think he probably worked on spec if he were going to do it. Yeah, this feels low budget to say the least. And Peter Weller actually had a good reason for not coming back. I mean, this movie came out in 1993. But it was shot back when there was an Orion in 91, Weller was doing The Naked Lunch. We referenced The Naked Lunch in the first podcast. I would rather regurgitate my lunch than be in RoboCop 3, so I could see his point. Yeah, you get to work with Cronenberg versus this guy. Yeah, we've talked about how he had aspirations for Artie or Fair, and if 
indeed they're just going to churn these things out uh, if if the creative force that made robocop be so vital is gone then yeah i mean you'd only do it for a paycheck and obviously it wasn't a big enough one i think they would have waited i think they could have found the the time if it were worth it but i'll just go ahead and put it out now i'm not sure that peter weller would make anything that we're about to discuss better <laughs> true but that said i disagree they could have waited they went bankrupt stuart there was no time left <laughs> then don't make it at all <laughs> this was like they're gleaming hope for salvation like ocp itself in this movie there's something very meta about this Yes, exactly. They know that it's uh, all falling away and all their properties. You're right. This was their last best hope to have a franchise. Orion Pictures love them to death, but they cater to artists. You know, Woody Allen worked a lot with Orion and Jonathan Demme. I mean, they put out quirky fare that the studio wouldn't touch, and they got a couple Oscars right at the end of their run with Silence of the Lambs and Dances with Wolves. But no, they never did have good franchises. And let's face it, that's how studios stay alive. You may not like sequels, but giving people what they want and often is how you stay in business. And with the franchise, Jacob, I look at you. Where was RoboCop at this time? I know that there was a second cartoon series. Had that aired by the time this came out? Nope. That's going to come after this. There's going to be TV show all after this. They're, they'll try to bring RoboCop back again, even after this film. But no, there, you know, again, there were the video games. I don't know if there are any RoboCop two or three video games. Yes, but- there were both. I had them. <laughs> but I think RoboCop, there was the sequel in 90. And what shocks me is this comes back as PG-13. Maybe all that marketing to kids, all the Nintendo games and toys and cartoons, maybe they realize that's where their audience is if this is going to live. That is really what I notice here is, in fact, on the RoboCop 2 VHS box, according to Wiki, it said that coming soon, RoboCop 3 for all ages. Isn't that clear? I mean, clearly, when we get to a child cyber hacker being the partner, when Nancy Allen is jumping ship and they're giving it to a child to pilot around, I mean, it's very clear to me that RoboCop 3 is the movie that Orion always wanted to make and very far removed from what Vorhoven had envisioned. I just want to say I think it's a fallacy to think that when you've created a franchise and a brand, based off of whatever quality that is, in the case of RoboCop, ultraviolence, and dark humor, the thought of making a PG or PG-13 rated film as bringing you more money seems like a fallacy to me, because if it's going to completely undermine the concept of your series, like a Friday the 13th or something where the fans you have are there because of enjoying the elements that make it a hard R film, you're actually going to do the opposite. You're not going to bring in new people because they're not interested in what you'd made before, and you're going to lose the people who were there before. So, again, Die Hard did it too. Every time I see an R franchise decide they want to broaden their appeal by going PG-13, I always think that they're not understanding what their appeal is. Yeah, well, it changes. I, I I can understand why that they'd want more money. And yes, it's it is a fact that PG-13 movies make more than R-rated movies. But yes, once you started down this path of ultraviolence to give all of that up, to think that you could switch it up, well, 
let's discuss it. Let's see if they can pull it off. It doesn't seem very likely. Well, they may be getting rid of the ultraviolence, but Peter Weller's gone. They brought back one of the strangest elements from RoboCop 2, though. Frank Miller is still credited as the writer for RoboCop 3. I didn't see any hookers. Well, there were hookers. No, there there is a hooker in this. I forgot about the hooker. Yeah, it's Frank Miller. There's hookers, there's ninjas, we'll talk about it. But yeah, Miller came back, and again, they said they rewrote a lot of his script. Currently, Boom Studios, a comic book publisher, is putting out an adaptation of his original script at about two-thirds of the way through. I've been reading that. I could talk a little bit about it. But yeah, a lot of the elements that he had in his script have translated over. A lot of stuff that he introduced in his original script for two was brought over to this film. Oh, see, I didn't know Frank Miller was involved. I saw the name Fred Decker. That was who I gravitated toward. This is both written and directed by Fred Decker, director of Night of the Creeps and Monster Squad. And yeah. he also wrote those house movies. Monster Squad. You know, I know we talked very obliquely about Monster Squad when we did Iron Man 3. Shane Black has a cameo in RoboCop 3, by the way, if you guys didn't catch it. I didn't. He was one of the cops in the donut shop. But not credited on the script, huh? Oh, no, he's not a writer. He's a friend with this director, and Shane Black was one of the writers of the Monster Squad. I went back and revisited the Monster Squad. I think I'd prefer to watch RoboCop 3 again than the Monster Squad. I'm right there with you, Arnie. I loved that film as a kid. Uh-huh. I tried to rewatch it a couple of years ago. Does not hold up. Not to me either. Just awful. I know that there are legions of our listeners ripping their earbuds out right now because they still <laughs> love that film. I loved it when I was 12. And, oh boy, it was pain-inducing here. So, if Fred Decker has done me wrong with the Monster Squad and then this... I don't think I'm going to run out and see House 2, the second story. I have seen Night of the Creeps. It's 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 a campy yeah. horror film. It's all right. I liked it as a kid. I, I, again, I don't think it holds up. But when you're hiring someone like Fred Decker, I think that you're just kind of shrugging your shoulders and saying, hey, we're going to make something cheap and midnight movie, and it's just going to be trash. It's sad because I... I wanted it to retain that level of sophistication, but I think the barometer by which I must judge RoboCop 3 is if it can work as entertaining trash, because I, I don't think it's going to work as a continuation of Warhoven's vision. And I would be happy if it's just a good action film, a good superhero film. I love Verhoeven's take for being a superhero film with a great satirical lampooning of American culture, but... If it can just give me the first half of that without the intelligence that makes the second part so great, I'll go for that ride. Yeah, you know what's interesting? Talking about this being entertaining trash, can can it satisfy us on that level? You know, I never saw this one in the theater. I do remember vividly, though, you know, if you live in L.A., you know about K-Rock, you know about Kevin and Bean. I remember them raving about this film on the radio that he's got jetpacks and machine gun arms. Like, this is the action RoboCop. This is the one that's just awesome because he's flying around. And well, we'll talk about it if it works on that level, but I never saw it in the theater, but that always stuck in my mind. This is the action one. So one weekend, you know, is a free Showtime or HBO weekend. And this film was just like constant rotation. I watched it like five or six times in one weekend, you know, just always constantly playing in the background when I'm doing homework or something. So oddly enough, 
second most watched RoboCop film for me. Oh, wow. And for me, when this came out in 93, by that point, I was in college. I was actually taking some film classes, and I was kind of turned off for a brief time from the most trashy of films. And this came out, and I'll tell you why I didn't see it. A Ninja. How do you not see something because of a ninja? That's a reason to see it. When it's RoboCop versus a ninja, and looking how this trailer looked, and I believe they showed him flying on the jetpack in the trailer, too. And it was just painful. I did not see this in theaters. I eventually did see it in, like, a horrible, horrible direct-to-video sci-fi marathon that also included Johnny Mnemonic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is, I, I mean, it was almost all of the same flavor for six hours of bad cinema. And I saw it then, and this is my third time going back. And I'm going to tell you, I must have some short-term memory disorder. Because every time I go back, I go, maybe it's not as bad as I remember. Maybe. Let's find out, Arnie. Give him the plot. Let's get into RoboCop 3. After the disaster that was RoboCop 2, the robot, not the movie, well, maybe both. A little. Omni Consumer Products, or Orion Pictures, is on the verge of bankruptcy. The old man has been terminated, there's a new CEO, played by Rip Torn, and OCP is being taken over by the Japanese Kenimitsu Corporation. Desperate for a success, the CEO creates a Gestapo called the Urban Rehabilitators to rouse the poor people from the poverty-stricken neighborhood of Cadillac Heights, loading the people up on buses and relocating them. Running the rehabs is Paul McDaggett who views this as a war and is willing to kill anyone who doesn't get on the bus. But the residents of Cadillac Heights have banded together under the leadership of Bertha, played by CCH Pounder. (laughs) No one supports a leader named Bertha. I'm sorry. (laughs) You need a better name. Che or Lennon or or something. You're never going to put Bertha on a t-shirt. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. It was doomed from the start. When a little girl named Nico is separated from her parents in a raid, Bertha helps her hide, only to discover Nico is a computer hacker genius who can take control of Ed 209 to help Bertha's group raid an OCP weapons store. Oh, Robocop? You want to talk about Robocop, I guess? Well, he's investigating where these supposed terrorists live in a church when the rehabs come. And Robocop is torn between his prime directive of serve the public trust, meaning protect the homeless rebels, and the reinstated Directive 4, don't oppose OCP. The rehab starts shooting, killing Robocop's partner, Lewis, and severely damaging Robocop. But the cyborg holds the rehabs off long enough for the resistance to escape underground. There, Robocop convalesces, aided by his mechanic, Dr. Lazarus, played by Jill Hennessy. Robocop goes on a hunt for the rehabs, and meanwhile, OCP tries to find the rebels, and the Kenimitsu Corporation sends in their own robotic ninja. The resistance is found thanks to the traitorous Koontz, played by Steven Root, who leads the rehabs right to the resistance's underground lair. It's literally underground. It's in a sewer. There, Lazarus is captured, and Robocop is attacked and nearly killed by the Robo Ninja. His hands cut off, but Robocop wins, but he's again severely damaged. Ready for a final assault on the Rebels, OCP tries to get the police to supplement the rehab forces, but led by Sergeant Reed, the OCP cops quit their jobs and go to defend the Rebels. Needing more muscle, the rehabs recruit the local homicidal gang, the Splatterpunks. A major war breaks out on the streets of old Detroit, and it looks like the rehabs are going to win, 
Until RoboCop straps a jetpack on his back and flies above the rehabs, bombing them from the sky. RoboCop then goes to OCP headquarters to face off against McDaggett. When RoboCop kills two more ninja bots, it triggers a massive explosion, and RoboCop and Nico barely escape, and McDaggett is killed in the explosion. Meanwhile, OCP's stock has dropped to zero as Lazarus is taken to the airwaves to decry OCP's ruthless relocation tactics, and RoboCop stands proud with the homeless as credits roll. Homeless indeed. Yeah, what, what is left for him to go after this? I guess we got some TV movies, but yeah, this is the end of a trilogy, so I guess storyline should wrap up. I guess that it's okay that major characters are killed off or, or are not here. We still have Casey Wong. I'm not sure where Lisa went, but this thing kicks off like it always does with a little bit of parody and news media smaltz. You know it's bad when Lisa Gibbons won't come back. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Casey Wong is there. And, you know, this media break, I mean, we're talking we are 70 seconds into the movie. This media break is when I know that all of that Verhoeven satire is gone. I think that Miller and Kirshner tried to recreate it with two. We still had the commercials with the sunblock and the security alarm. But here, they don't even give us that. The media news just isn't as smart or cutting. It really feels like mad magazine jokes at this point. Oh, to me, it just feels like all exposition crammed in here. You know, we only get one real parody of a commercial, I feel. We get a Johnny Rehab commercial, like, two-thirds of the way through the film. I'm like, where are the commercials? With RoboCop, I want commercials in the middle of my movie. But... (laughs) We're not getting him in this one, and that's telling to me, when we look at it, when it was done best with Verhoeven, those commercials, these media breaks, there was pieces of exposition, but they also world-build. We, we know what this universe is like. Here, in this film, this is just crammed full. You know, Delta City, they want to build this new thing over your slums. We're going to kick you all out. We're bankrupt. Here's the Japanese coming in. It's just, like, so stuffed. I don't sense any satire at all or any humor in any of this. Yeah, I figured that it would not thread through the plot as cleverly, but I, I didn't even smile. I mean, maybe it wasn't even the intent. If they were writing jokes, I missed them. In a way, it's kind of making me think a little bit of Starship Troopers, because Starship Troopers also used the media, and it had them reporting very positively on these Nazi-like military, and... I still think Starship Troopers took it to such an extreme that it was winking. Here, yeah, you've got the media reporting on these rehabs and everything about the urban rehabilitation unit. They've got the outfits, they've got the haircuts, they're Nazis on the streets of Detroit. Yeah, this is side number one that this is a Frank Miller script. There's Nazis. You know, when we talked about the Dark Knight Returns army, there is that random criminal with swastikas on her tits. So like Nazis, a thing for him. Here, here we go with these rehabs, as they're called, these mercenaries that have come in to replace the striking police. Yeah, they have this triangle insignia that looks like a swastika. We're just missing yellow stars to put on the homeless here. Cadillac Heights. Not a neighborhood in Detroit. It is a neighborhood in Dallas. I assume that's where they're still filming this, huh? Nope, this isn't Atlanta. (laughs) Everything gets a downgrade. This was actually filmed in some slums that they were going to tear down anyway for the, the Olympics that were coming up. The 96 Olympics. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, I get the sense that OCP before, I felt like they were a company that would do nefarious things for a positive end. And did the end justify the means was debatable. But here it's very clear, without a doubt, that they are the enemy. And I think they're more comfortable presenting them that way because it's no longer Americans in charge. We have an ineffectual CEO, Rip Torn. He's comic relief. And truly, this is a Japanese plot. That they're essentially the Japanese are putting Americans in internment camps at this point. It's a reverse of World War Two. Oh, I hadn't even thought of it in that regard, because the troops aren't Japanese, and you're right, the Japanese own OCP, but you gotta squint to see that. Really? I felt like it was heavy. To, for me, I felt like they were more comfortable presenting the company as a complete evil force because it was no longer Americans in charge. You, they're really tapping into that feeling, again, from the late 80s, early 90s, where we thought the Japanese were going to take over everything. I, I I don't know if that's racism, but there was definitely that feeling in the culture that, you know, the Japanese bought the Mariners. They own our baseball, the American sport now. There is definitely that fear coming that the Japanese were just going to steamroll over everything and buy America. They did own every single movie studio with the exception of Fox. And Orion, <laughs> which was bankrupt. So I guess Orion thought they could get away with this. They didn't. That I got. I mean, I definitely got the fear of Japanese corporations. That was heavy in the 80s and early 90s. I mean, from movies like Gung Ho to that Tom Selleck baseball one. I mean, Rising Sun, I think, was the most politically charged one. Michael Crichton. Yeah, but I just didn't realize the connection between the Japanese putting the people in the Camps, I mean, I don't even know where these people are going. That is very nebulous. In a way, it almost sounded like a job placement program because they were going to be tested and found a place where they could be employed by OCP. A lot of these people look like they could use jobs, but I'm not sure if that's true. You never see them take tests. And when little girl Nico's parents are taken, they're ended up dead. So... I don't even know if maybe their buses, this testing is taking place in like a gas chamber. Who knows? <laughs> yes, if you escape the gas chamber, you get a job. <laughs> it does feel like euthanizing as they're clearing out this neighborhood. They don't even wait for people. They don't even ask them to leave their homes. There's just literally a wrecking ball going through her bedroom window. That's how they find out that they're no longer going to be living no, there. No, they did have an eviction notice they ignored. Yeah, they had the notice. But this, I have to ask, have either of you ever watched the TV? TV show Bosom Buddies. Yes. <laughs> That's what I think of when a wrecking ball comes through an apartment where you're living there. Because that was the opening credits to Bosom Buddies was Peter Scolari and Tom Hanks in their apartment when the wrecking ball hits. Well, it was farcical. I can say that. But, you know, what it does is it sets up an orphan character. It sets up who this star of this movie is going to be and who this movie is being geared towards. This is made for tweens and teenagers that even I, at this point, in 1993, I was older than the primary audience for this movie. We're supposed to root for Nico here, not Robocop. Uh, the the, the 10-year-old that's doing calculus and is a computer hacker? Is she supposed to be uber smart or is it just the future? I'm, I actually couldn't tell on that one if it was she was something special or they've just advanced education. I think that it's a cliche of particularly the 90s and the 80s, but that kids knew more about computers than adults. 
so that we could accept kids if they're going to play a major role in a resistance movement that they would be hackers. I mean, there was a movie called Hackers or War Games where a kid breaks in and starts nuclear war. I think that it was a way of bringing in teenagers and making them feel empowered, that they understood technology in a way that uh, their parents didn't. If she's so smart, she should have got a job at OCP. She should have been building the next RoboCop and taking care of her parents. Perhaps she could build a Ed 209 that was the size it was in previous movies. <laughs> because later we'll see her get swept up in the resistance movement and they proceed to go and break into a compound where it's being guarded by mini Ed 209. What What's that thing, about two feet tall? No, no, that looked regular height to me. I honestly don't think they had the money to make a new prop. They had a real practical Ed 209. It couldn't move, but it was a statue that stood there. I think they wheeled that thing out for this. No, no, no. That thing, it was seriously under three feet tall. I mean, it was... You go back to that footage when they actually have the shot. Now, I know that, yes, most of its presentation is superimposed and shot in a way that it fills the screen. But when you actually see the shot of the child and the rebels running past it, yeah, it looks like it's uh, the size of a toilet. What blows me away is, why wouldn't you keep an Ed 209 with you? You know, they raid this OCP armory... But why wouldn't you keep an Ed 209? That thing's got some firepower. You see it take out the cops for him. I thought that would be where it's going. I really did. I could have sworn that this would end with RoboCop and Ed 209 fighting together against the rehabs. That would be great. And you do get that in the adaptation of Miller's script for this film. Ed 209 stays with him. He keeps saying, I'm as loyal as a dog. And he does team up with Robo, and they fight together. And I just don't think they had the budget for that in this film. Yeah, the stop motion of Ed 209 was very little, actually. It seems like most of it is we're just going to do extreme close-ups, so we only have to move a little bit of him. And as Stuart pointed out, some of the blue screening may not reflect his size adequately or consistently all the effects are awful here when ed 209 blows up this supposedly like steel armory you can see the balsa wood in the explosion <laughs> like this is so damn cheap looking yeah they got no money but even beyond that i mean that's obvious it doesn't take us to, to point that out but i i also feel like I'm shocked that Frank Miller's name is on this. Last movie, I felt like Frank Miller spent most of his time heckling anyone that would be mad that the franchise wasn't pandering to children. Now, it's only doing that here. I mean, she doesn't want to turn Ed 209 into a killing machine. She wants to turn it into a puppy. It's a little girl, after all, and she wants to make it a pet. I mean, I think it's R2-D2. I don't think it's... Ed 209 from RoboCop Ultraviolence. It's just not what they're going for here. The vibe is different. They want it to be soft. Yeah, and I do think this came from the rewrites. You know, Miller, This there's no Nico. There's a grown woman that's a hacker in the comic. Is she naked? <laughs> of course she is, and she probably <laughs> sells sex. <laughs> yes, prostitute on drugs. <laughs> there is a love tweet between her and Robo. Yeah, okay. Yeah, now that I can believe, yes. Frank Miller. The only time there is a child is when the child's an actual spy for rehab and Robo ends up like killing her. She ends up being like a robot. But, you know, Miller was still going for that. I, I think this all came from rewrites. Had to. With yeah. Toning it down to make this a PG-13 film. Yeah, I don't mean to imply that I think Frank Miller went soft. I think that the franchise went soft. And it, again, I didn't notice that Frank Miller was involved in this one because it just does not have that mean-spiritedness that the last movie did. And Frank Miller 
hates this movie. Frank Miller quit Hollywood after this movie until Sin City, until Robert Rodriguez went and said, I will make a slavish recreation of your pages. He was done because he said the writer has no power in Hollywood. Be the director or get the hell out. Well, then I have kind things to say about RoboCop 3 then, I guess. That's not so bad. <laughs> if it did nothing else, it saved us from 12 more a years decade, of Frank yes. Miller. I, I'm cool with that, but uh, you know what? Maybe one day we'll get to Sin City and I'll I'll get to air these beasts, but not a fan, and you know what? I'll just go ahead and say it. If this is what they want to do, do I like it? Absolutely not. I don't think it's any worse than pissing in the pool the way that that last movie did. I guess... That the tone change, if that's what they're going for, it's no less satisfying to see a kiddie version of Robocop than it is to see that nasty, mean-spirited, joyless one of last week. I still don't get Vorhoven. You know, that last one, I think that was someone misunderstanding Vorhoven, not getting the satire and the violence and, yes. and the humor. This, though, this is a total opposite. So little Verhoven here. I mean, again, the, the media breaks, the one commercial we really get. I mean, everything that made that first one special has been excised from this film. And I completely disagree with you, Stuart, because... As part of this retrospective, I've kind of knocked a couple things off my bucket list. I watched a couple episodes of the kid cartoon RoboCop that aired in the 80s. And I've watched a couple of the episodes of the TV series. Never seen them before. And I think that this movie so far has a lot more in common with the cartoon series than it does even the syndicated TV series that would come out a year after this. The syndicated TV series may have had to tone down the violence, but it at least got what RoboCop fans were kind of looking for. It didn't replicate it perfectly on a television budget and television censors, but it knew what it was should be going for. This feels like a live-action version of that kitty cartoon where Lewis is dressed up on a date and goes out with RoboCop, and RoboCop then leaves her with the check so that he can stop a crime. I mean, this is truly kiddified, and I don't think I can go with that, because if you kiddify something, you, by its very nature, take away the complexity and just make it less interesting to sophisticated minds. So... I think that already Nico is irritating me. Most importantly, you were complaining the last movie, Stuart, about where's RoboCop. Well, where the fuck is he here? Have we talked about RoboCop yet? Uh, 15 minutes it takes for his grand entrance. I guess that's dramatic, you know, if you're building up to a great entrance. But of course, we're building up to Robert John Burke. Who is who, by the way? What, what did he do? Robert John Burke, I actually know him from Rescue Me. He was Dennis Leary's brother on that show. Oh, well, of course. He had done a lot of TV. I had to look him up, but when I hit IMDb, I saw his face and instantly recognized him from there. I've seen him in other stuff, but I didn't recognize him from anything else as much as I did playing the priest on that show. Yeah, his only credits that I recognized were from early indies. Hal Hartley was a, a film director who made quirky little situation romantic comedies that has been largely forgotten now, and, and so has Robert John Burke. But I can't imagine. Maybe they thought that he looked enough like Peter Weller, that that's what counted. The jawline was close enough. But certainly when we hear the voice, when we see him coming in, it's a very 
dramatic entrance for reasons I still don't understand. He ends up driving off a parking lot. And- uh, all, right, all right, let's let's break this down, Stuart. <laughs> I think we really need to break this down. Okay, I am. First of all, I'd like to break it down to a molecular level with some <laughs> sulfuric acid. <laughs> I mean, he puts on a machine gun arm. Yes. Okay, he's got an upgrade, I guess. I go against even that because the RoboCop we watched for two movies wants his humanity. He doesn't seem like the type to take an upgrade that would take away a human-esque hand and replace it with a gat. Right. Look, I don't even know if that second film happened once we get into this one. Uh, He seems to have directors back and everything. So he puts on his machine gun arm. He drives up. You know, Lewis, she's been in an accident as they are pursuing these urban terrorists. The splatterpunk sign number two. This is a Frank Miller film. There are punk gangs that speak. You know, I think Frank Miller read Clockwork Orange at an impressionable age and is like, yes, every gang should talk in like this weird neo-futuresque language that we could barely understand because that he does that so much so we get this gang that's hunting down lewis and these other people in this car accident am i the only one who thinks that joel schumacher saw these splatterpunks and decided they needed to be in batman forever i swore that was like a frank miller thing when i saw batman forever the first time because yeah that is so frank miller like neon punks so robo drive to like the top of a parking garage okay he's gonna stand up there and shoot all the splatterpunks right No, he's going to drive down, land his car in the middle of this gang, then use his machine gun arm to shoot the top of the car open like (laughs) a tuna can, peeling it off. Instead, the doors are working, by the way, except (laughs) if, except if maybe they broke because he drove it off the fucking cliff. Yeah, this is a working car before he crashes it. After he crashed it, we don't know if it may have bent the frame and those doors don't open anymore. I'm still not sure why he crashed it. But. No, I, it, it's dramatic. It, I guess it announces I'm a crazy mofo and I have a lot of firepower. But yeah, I'll, I'm glad it made no more sense to you than it did to me seeing Robert John Burke come into this way. It certainly was not inspiring as he's intoning. What does he say? Nice try, creep. You call for backup? Yeah. I not only sense the absence of Weller, I sense the absence of the character that I was attached to. The, all the complexity, the whole duality of am I Murphy or Robocop and how much do I want to resist being a part of the system. All of those conflicts, anything that was adult about this, out the window. This is the movie the studio wanted to make and this is a complex list cyborg there is just no dimension to him at all he's just a badass yeah well i mean he starts using puns he says thanks for dropping by you know come on like at least when weller's like he's saying lines like they'll fix you they can fix everything like there is some actual acting you know i said i felt weller was kind of pretentious when i heard him speak but he does something with the role. He he conveys this sense of irony in those lines. There's nothing here. This is like, oh, he's got a machine gun arm, badass. Like, this is only for 12-year-olds. This might have made me happy if I saw it at 12, but it would not carry over like that first one did for yeah, me. Yeah, I completely agree. This seems like it's existing just to think of a cool toy where you could strap on a machine gun arm instead of actually making any freaking sense. Right. It is the movie that they've made. They've made something that's, it's a franchise. We're trying to make a hero here. We're not trying to explore science fiction concepts. And so, yeah, I'm tuned out right from the get-go. I'm very, very sad to be trapped in this cheesy, cheap imitation. I mean, it feels like 
you know, when a hit movie is out in theaters and six months later on VHS, there's like the ripoff. You know, this feels like, you know, Cyber Cop, the wannabe RoboCop that I can't believe that this is supposed to be the sequel and not the imitation. And I'm even going to go a step further and damn this film as actually being incompetent. If the effects were bad, well, we've kind of harped on the bad effects on the last two. But the editing during this early scene is actually jarring because you have RoboCop in a car chase chasing down Nico and Bertha. (laughs) (laughs) I still can't believe they named her that. (laughs) And then it just cuts from this car chase to Nancy Allen literally standing around after a car accident. And it just made no sense. It was whiplash inducing. It was poor storytelling choices to cross cut the way it did. And it made no sense until finally you get to the point where Lewis needs to call for backup because the splatter punks are coming and Robocop disobeys a direct order. Maybe he had to smash his car because he smashed the radio first so that he could pretend he didn't hear the order. <laughs> but he disobeys that order, smashing the radio and goes back to save Lewis. And I want to add, we're about 20 minutes into the movie and him smashing the radio with his fist and a extreme close-up of the visor is all the RoboCop we've seen. When he finally busts out that roof, we're supposed to be really excited because they've withheld the RoboCop for almost a quarter of the movie. Yeah, this is the conflict for the rest of the film. It's not, you know, RoboCop's angst about his identity. It's that the cops are mad that he's developed his own attitude, that he is making the decision to protect his partner rather than following a direct order from Reed. Reed wants him to keep after Bertha, and he goes back to protect Nancy Allen. I think it's a little confusing that we have two gangs here. We're told that there's these homeless resistance fighters. That's who Bertha is. That's who Nico has been swept up into after her parents have gotten taken away. But then there's also this street gang. I feel like that's a little sloppy. I wish that I understood the threat of the street gang. To me, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. And it felt really passe. By 1993, seeing people in mohawks with trench coats and switchblades, I mean, that's not a credible gang. I agree, but they really gave a sense of danger when they were stalking Lewis. God help me. I was taking a little bit back to Tank Girl and those kangaroo creatures that seem so dangerous you wouldn't want to go out in the desert because of them. I was fine having a homicidal gang out there that was just so crazy they will kill absolutely anybody they come across. But couldn't that be the conflict? Did we really need OCP forcibly ripping people out? Couldn't it just be that gangs have overrun neighborhoods and that it was Robocop versus gangs? I don't know. That's what we got with one and two. We had Clarence and his gang. We had drug dealing going on in the second one. I I feel like they did need to escalate it. You know, we ended that second one saying, well, you know, obviously they're planning on a third film. The old man just drives away. I want a continuation. I want to find out what happens to the old man. Oh, he's just gone. Now we have the CEO. And this RoboCop, I don't even, again, I don't know if that second film happened. They're arguing with him. You disobeyed a direct order. Well, 
we know he has no prime directives, at least if that second film is still taking place. Like, the cops were there when he electrocuted himself and reset his program, and they helped him back in, you know? Don't they know that? It just seems like, oh, let's hurry and bust out a script, get something done. We're going to make this film badass, even if it doesn't really jive with what you've seen before. Well, we do see that there are people that he still goes and sits in the chair, and it's not inconceivable that somewhere in between RoboCop 2 and 3, somebody downloaded the old system into him. We have Bradley Whitfield here, who's the smarmy suit that's the one that's basically asking the question, why doesn't he behave? I'm sure he would have implemented that old Prime Directive program. It's I, I accept it. I, yeah, I hear what you're the saying. The second he needed a battery recharge, they'd be putting back in, you do not oppose OCP. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, it's not surprising. If OCP is still standing, which is a little surprising, it's under new management, but it's still OCP. And so, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that it would follow those principles. And even though this is an all-new cast, I mean, we've mentioned a couple of names. You mentioned Bradley Whitford, who back then was nobody at all, but... In a number of both movie and television roles, I've become a fan of his, and so I really enjoyed seeing this early performance. And then as the CEO, Rip Torn. And he's somebody who, this would probably have been one of the first times I saw him. I eventually, you know, Men in Black is perhaps the most iconic role I know him from. Dodgeball, every time I see him, I think of him drinking his own piss because it's sterile and he likes the taste. Don't have much feeling about Rip Torn other than I think he's comedic. It makes OCP look farcical and ineffectual. And indeed, his introductory scene is having a giant Japanese face on a TV monitor screaming at him that he's stupid and incompetent. He never disproves that. Throughout this movie, he looks like an oaf. And I guess if that's what you want to portray, Rip Torn's a good choice. But yeah, I miss Silver Shamrock. I I miss the old man. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Rip Torn here, th- this is all physical comedy to me. He's just mugging to the screen, and again, this, Arnie, you said this feels like that cartoon. Yeah, it, this does feel like a live-action cartoon. Just, it's unsophisticated. I think the weirdest moment in the whole movie is when we get back to Metro West, which is now like a walk-up or something. It totally does not look like a police precinct. But we get, can you, someone explain this attempt at comedy or local color there's a drag queen with a lollipop and there's some discussion about filming (laughs) dogs doing something that sounds illicit and possibly sexual in nature i just it was so gross i couldn't believe that they were trying it in this otherwise (laughs) pg-13 movie but wow the punchline is it was a non-union film crew yeah Yeah, I, i thought that was pretty funny it was it was funny. I'll give you that. It was very strange. I again, I feel like a tone deaf in trying to capture the world that I enjoyed here. It's very clear not that, but uh, yeah, we get the familiar faces. Nancy Allen Reed is here. He's telling people that they need to go against the homeless terrorists and find their hideouts. Yes, he has to find the rebel locations. I, I feel like I'm watching Star Wars almost. <laughs> the secret rebel base. Yes. And for reasons that are a little convenient, he saw Nico in a baseball cap that disappear into a church. He knows that that's where they are. It is really stretching to get RoboCop to that church, isn't it? I mean, the whole point is whatever mechanisms they have to do, whatever gears they have to turn, they want RoboCop to go to that church right at the same time as the rehabs come to round them up and probably kill them. And... There we get our biggest gore of the whole film when the rehabs gun down Lewis. 
and by the biggest gore, it still isn't much, but there are some spurts of blood. Did Nancy Allen get a Razzie nomination for this? This has <laughs> got to be the worst death scene. Oh, no, no. CCH Pounder gets the worst death scene a little later in this very movie. <laughs> but Nancy Allen starts it. She's like, can you out-ham this death, CCH? <laughs> I'm scared. Get them for me. I'm like, come. They just like looked at every like revenge movie death scene and just like wrote down the lines, whatever they said. This is bad. She just wanted to get off the set at this point. Her cash had checked and it cleared through the bank and she wanted out of here yeah i don't even know why she came back you mentioned a paycheck maybe that's it i do know she only came back if there was a promise that her character would die in the first half i mean she not only didn't want to come back she wanted to make sure they never asked her back again (laughs) wouldn't the performance be enough for that i mean truly (laughs) she was barely in the yeah i felt like lewis was dead before the bullets were fired but it's only because of those deliveries she was barely in the second one was the workload too much nancy (laughs) yes and now that she's been cut severed from brian de palma's life the man that gave her her meal ticket i don't know what she's moving on towards i didn't keep up with nancy allen but this may be the last time i ever saw her on screen I guarantee it's the last time I ever saw her. My only question is, is it the last time she ever appeared on screen? (gasps) Oh, no. Oh, no. I just looked it up, guys. We'll be seeing Nancy Allen again later this year in Children of the Corn 666. (laughs) She must have had to pay rent that month really bad. Those children of the corn, man, I'll hold it. But wow, what a tough year 2014 is looking like. (laughs) If this is the kickoff and that's our conclusion, man, oh, man. But but come on, if you're not moved by Lewis's death scene, come on. What about when Robocop's like, Officer Down? (laughs) Like, this is so bad. Like, I'm pulling my hair out. Like, no, we don't need the punny. We don't need, like, the witty Robocop here. It's just, oh, it's so awful. I don't think that was supposed to be witty or punny. I think that was supposed to be heart-wrenching and moving. I honestly think they would have done better not to have Lewis here at all. I don't know what they would have done for the conflict about him disobeying orders at the beginning, if that was what they wanted to set up, but write something else. My feeling is they just wanted to have Robocop be weakened by gun battle. Don't put in this personal vendetta that he wants to avenge Lewis. I feel like that's not the movie you want to make. You want to have him pal around with a child, and that's what he does, and some slapstick comedy as they try to make their way through the sewers. Just don't even try. I guess... I'm of the attitude, don't even try to pretend like you want to do what I want you to do. Just do the kitty movie and I'll suffer. And they do the same kind of thing by bringing back thoughts of the ex-wife and the son, too. The ex-wife, she filmed new scenes. She is the one what? of the only four actors to appear in all three RoboCop films. Uh, oh my god, that was a new scene? That yeah. She stood in front of a house. As far as I could tell, <laughs> it looked like she was on coffee break from the first movie, but all right. <laughs> So they bring that plot point back, too, for Murphy. It never goes anywhere. This isn't RoboCop's film. I don't know whose film this is. It might be Rip Torn's, because I don't think Miko gets a whole lot of stuff here either. But RoboCop, this is the first of two times that he will be debilitated and taken out of the action. He didn't show up for 20 minutes into the film. He barely does anything. And at the beginning of this gunfight, Robo down. He has to limp along, literally, to help the rebels escape. And this rebel base, there's a couple other actors that I recognize down here. 
the one that got me, and I'm just watching this whole movie, and I am trying to figure out who is this guy. It's Marino. He's oh, yeah. the driver. If you watch Seinfeld, he was Mr. Karuger, George's boss, for like two seasons. Yeah, he also had a big part on Malcolm in the Middle. He was a army military principal. That's right. There. I actually saw those episodes. So he's a he's another comedic presence, as is Stephen Root. I guess the rebels took his red stapler, and that's why he turns them in. <laughs> yeah, this blows me away that Stephen Root is showing up. You know, I don't I don't know if news radio was going on at the time if that had started yet, but really weird. Like it was supposedly supposed to be this like gritty sci-fi action film. We get these more comedic roles. Stephen Root, I can't look at him as a... Maybe he has a serious role out there. I, I look at him, I, I think he does a great job with his comedic acting. I love his voice work with King of the Hill, but these are not rebels that I could take seriously. Yeah, he has a bit of a dramatic role in the first season of True Blood as a gay vampire, but it's a little bit more dramatic. But yeah, Stephen Root is comedy to me. He'll always be Milton. And of course, joining the Rebels is Dr. Lazarus. Want to place any bets whether she can raise Robocop from the dead? I mean, really? This is the name? Oh, so subtle, so subtle. Mm. Satire and commentary <laughs> going on in this film. Oh, yeah. but come on, I'm going to forgive a hell of a lot because I had no idea that Jill Hennessy was that attractive when she was that young. Well, well, I don't know if you could call anyone attractive compared to the rest of this cast. I mean, come on. CCH Pounder, <laughs> Steven Root. <laughs> she looks like she's been pounding him, yeah. <laughs> Even Nico, that is the ugliest damn kid. Like, <laughs> you want me to go along with a kid, get a cute one at least, man. This is, this whole group, I, I, I just think you put anyone next to this group, they're going to look good. Yeah, but Jill Hennessy was cute. I mean, I watched Crossing Jordan and Law and Order a little bit, and, you know, she was never really that much of a looker, but here, she's she's got something going on. Not only is she the standout of the Rebels, she's replacing the wife. They're finally doing what we were congratulating them for not doing in the last two movies. We actually get a morphing scene, which back in 1991-92, whenever they made this, would have been pretty expensive. That was probably where the money went. But the, the, Robocop has a dream in which he, he actually kind of morphs through the women in his life and decides that, yeah... Hennessy is the one for him. It's the same thing as Nancy Allen or his wife. I was confused by the look that Robocop gives when he wakes up. It looks like he just, you know, had a wet dream and came. Like <laughs> yeah. That O face he's given. I was wondering what that morph was, though, because I understand these are all women in his life, but you take it as a romance thing? I don't even know how to read it because he was never really romantic with Lewis. And so by throwing Lewis into the mix... I don't know if these are just women who have been a major part of his life, or is he saying that he had something for Lewis, but she's dead, and so now I'm going to move on to my doctor. <laughs> yes, that's the way I took it. Yeah, I read it as these are the women he had feelings for, even though that was supposed to never happen with Lewis. Now these are new writers. You listen to our Books and Nachos review, a thing does happen with Lewis and Robocop and Miller's script. Yeah, he's going through these three women. He starts with his wife. I think that's what makes it obvious that these are the women that he's got feelings for. Cause he starts with his wife and it morphs to Lewis and now to the new one. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, again, I just feel like everything is being downgraded and schlepped off to the C-listers. I, I don't know. Uh, Hennessy's okay. I don't really know her. I didn't watch any of those TV shows, but she's kind of got a Gina Davis vibe. That's kind of what I'm getting out of her here. Um, I thought it was kind of funny. And I mean, just like 
a smidge that they pull out the old artificial heart from one of the commercials of Paul <laughs> Vorhoven to resuscitate Robocop. That was kind of a nice touch. But but by the same token, it was in the middle of a montage of the first person point of view rebuilding Robocop, trying to recapture the magic from the first one and failing miserably. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Anytime that this movie is trying to make me think about those other ones, it's actually a mistake. I know this is a sequel, but I almost feel like just reboot the fucker. If you're going to make something for tweens, just do that. Don't try and, don't lie to me and tell me that you're making another Vorhoven. It's just not true. And it won't look favorable. Speaking of making us think of Vorhoven, they even had a Directive 4. You can't attack OCP officials. We see that get deleted during the scene, but yeah, they are retreading so much, making us think of such a superior film. Quite a mistake. I gotta say, I was thinking about Karate Kid there at a while. He's he's starting to give advice to the child about he knows that her parents are dead, that he uploaded a program when he was back at the precinct, and he has information that they, I guess they tried to escape from whatever cage that they were put in, and that her parents were killed. I guess they weren't euthanized when they went there, but for whatever reason, it was so bad, they, they tried to rebel, they were killed, and he says to the girl, if you remember them, then they are never really gone, which, I mean, these kinds of no, I mean this is Mr. Miyagi after a pint of sake was never this irritating. I mean it's <laughs> it, these are these are it's 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 terrible. But he doesn't tell her that her parents are dead and in fact at the end of this movie doesn't she still think they're alive? Like they have this big victory and then they have to break the news, Miko, I have something to tell you. <laughs> no, I actually think that they're just kind of like cheating. They're just like, oh, you know, we'll be your parents for now. I, I think that she's literally just okay with the fact that her dad is now a cyborg and her mom is Dr. Lazarus. I think that she literally forgets about them. They they never have to break the bad news because she never asks. She is a genius hacker and uh, doing calculus, so maybe she's able to pick up on Robo's tone there. Read between the lines? I don't know. Yes. And then this movie just becomes quite a bit of a mess. I mean, we're well over halfway. <laughs> just now? No, yes, right. I Narratively mean... a mess, because Robocop eventually gets fixed up by Lazarus and goes on the hunt for the rehabs, and we get a bit of an action scene. At a whorehouse, Frank Miller sign number three. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, you know what, you, Stuart, you talked about going full board if you're going to do a tween RoboCop. Here, when he attacks the rehab center before he finds out they've all relocated to the whorehouse, like, he puts on a flamethrower arm. You know, when we get to that Alpha Commando, I'll talk about it more next week. He came after this, but yeah, they kidified Robo. He had shot glue and nets, and yeah, I do feel like they're trying to do that, but they still want to make it somewhat violent. You know, he's not going to shoot bubblegum out at people and have them stick to the floor, but yeah, he's got interchangeable arms. He shoots nets. He's a step away from Inspector Gadget. <laughs> next time, Robo. Next time. <laughs> and of course, amid all of this story he is also given a <laughs> i don't know what you want to call it i could give you some four letter words for it but he gets a cyborg alter ego he gets a nemesis worth fighting up to this point the rehabs are kind of faceless there's a sneering british guy and we know he's going to get it in the end and there's mako as a face on a tv screen and ripped horn that's you know trying to hold the office together but nobody really feels like they're going to give robocop a good fight that changes when we bring in the ninja 
Otomon. Frank Miller, side number four, Robot Ninja. Or just any kind of ninja if it's Frank Miller. I was dreading this, partly by the way you guys sold it before. You were like, oh, a ninja, a ninja. I actually think it's the most successful part of this entire movie is the fact that we have this hitman that's hired, the shogun that's basically sent in to clean up what the Japanese wisely have assessed the Americans are incapable of fixing. And yeah, I kind of wish there was more of this guy. He's kind of cool. In theory, yes. A concept, yes. He is cool. Did you see the fight scene, though? Yeah. This is the worst damn ninja ever. This He's slow. He's sitting there waving his sword around, letting Robocop crawl over to grab his grenade launcher to blow his head off. Like, this is awful choreography. If I agree. A ninja would be awesome if he acted like a ninja, not like this Automo does. The problem is, Robocop is more pathetic than the homeless people he's trying to protect. Because every time Robocop gets in a fight, he ends up completely demolished. Robocop is so slow that, yeah, a ninja and then a robo-ninja on top of that should be able to take him. I counted no less than 18 times that that ninja should have beheaded Robocop and had it over with. (laughs) And the robo-ninja's just like posing and posturing and doing all this other stuff and dancing and i mean why doesn't he kill robocop that is right there completely invalidates any coolness this ninja could have if robocop put up a good fight or pulled out some trick that would be one thing but he literally just kind of drags himself over to his machine gun hand and the ninja's just standing there what the whole time yeah, I clearly I noticed that it was subpar, but still within the context of this movie, these are more exciting fights than the shootouts we got at the church or any of this other action here. I mean, later when he gets the jetpack, I'm I'm thinking about Supergirl. I mean, truly the best action in this movie, for better or for worse, I think it's the makeup effects. Maybe it's not the action, but I do like it when the ninja takes it to the face and we get a couple uh, Rob Bottonish kind of looks where he's trying to correct his jaw and what have you. Okay, there I'll agree with you. I like the look of the Robo Ninja, and I especially like it every time his face gets messed up. It happens again at the climax of the film. I like that look, but... No, I actually think the best action is when Robocop raids the whorehouse. Yeah, he's driving around in a pitmobile. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you, Stuart, but I think it is the best action, that car's chase and that shootout. Yeah, it is. I mean, he's going through the window, and there is the chase, and I can't believe the pimpmobile. I mean, that is <laughs> that is a worse joke than the transvestite with the lollipop. But <laughs> Yeah, proof that you can't get Miller completely out of this one, as much as they're trying here. But I swear to God, at this point in the movie, when he's in the pimp thing, I'm never, I was convinced it was the finale. I was like, I was so done with this movie. I was like, oh, at least we're at the end. And then I hit the button and there's 30 more <laughs> minutes of this to go. I can't believe how much this thing drags. It feels every minute of it, too. Mm. It just low battery, no momentum. And maybe part of it is because it's not clear what Robocop should be doing. I think that's a big part of it is that I don't know what Robocop's role is anymore. But I also just think that very little joy, with the exception of when the ninja's on screen, I'm barely able to pay attention. There's nothing to root for. Yet the rebels drop a line that if they could hold Cadillac Heights for two days, then they win. I don't know what that means. Like, it is such like a random video game goal to have. 
We just have to keep them out of our town for two days. And I don't know, they go bankrupt. They decide they can't foreclose anymore. It makes no sense. I don't, there's some kind of business speak about how they've got to, yeah, make good on their financial investment by Friday. It's pathetic, but so is this movie. And I just have trouble honestly telling what's going on because Robocop is having the pimp mobile chase and that's when the rehabs raid the basement led there by Koontz. And they leave that ninja for Robocop to get back. But because of, again, the way this is edited, the way that this is paced, I'm confused where the hell Robocop is because he's the chase ended and it takes him so long to get back. I mean, did he walk? He does walk rather slow. <laughs> yeah, it was a shock to me to realize that that was all the same night. That by the time he gets back to the base, everything that we saw with, yeah, Lazarus being taken prisoner and the girl going into the air ducts. The movie feels like it had go- left him behind completely. That it was almost a surprise to see Robocop was still participating when he does show back up at the climax. Yeah, because the ninja leaves him again debilitated. Robocop, didn't you notice the heavy exposition? I've made your backpack so that if you get low battery, it can recharge you even if you don't want to fly. Which he throws off after recharging. Like, it makes no sense. Which, of course, by the way, the Rebels just stole because it looked nifty when they raided OCP. It's very convenient that not only is it the exact piece Robocop needs to defeat the rehabs, but that they get a Robocop on their side. Yes, and that Dr. Lazarus designed that very piece of equipment. It is all <laughs> just perfect, like a like a puzzle piece just snapping into place. How wonderful the story is coming together, isn't it? Speaking of puzzle pieces, this is what's so confusing, is there's this whole scene where Otomo, he kills a rebel and gets like a secret code to where they're <laughs> hiding out, which is... It's a transparency. Yes, of the outline of where... I don't know what the two points are. I don't know why you would need two points, only one route to get to the hideout i don't know why he's able to just like put it down on the map perfectly like there's no secret code here it's the worst secret ever but like he has a map to where they're hiding out and rehab still gets there before him both of these (laughs) robots suck (laughs) they are pretty bad and i i did have to laugh that yeah the whole fight was about getting a transparency to put over a gas station map. I mean, when it's all taking place in the very same mill that presumably is the same one that was in the first and second movie. I mean, everyone knows where the goddamn old mill is. I mean, this is ridiculous. (laughs) We don't need a transparency. We need an editor. But there is one thing that I actually like in this movie, and it goes to a returning cast member, one who I never thought would get Perhaps the high moment of the movie, but Sergeant Reed, who's been basically your stereotypical yelling movie chief, right? He's every police chief in every cop buddy movie ever. Yeah. And he gets the best laugh in this entire movie. I just want to point out, he's fighting with a homeless man who's taunting him. He's like, do you have a ghost cop? Do you have a vampire cop? Do you have an alien cop? I actually love that. That I was a good line, yeah. That was a great moment. Reed gets the best moment in RoboCop 3. So, yes, it was good to see him here. And he leads the cops on a walkout. And it's the one moment of integrity shown among any character that feels believable that eventually these guys who signed up to be cops and wanted to actually uphold the law would finally have enough of this OCP bullshit. 
Yeah, and you get the line, you're jeopardizing your retirement benefits. Like, I feel like some of this, this is what Verhoeven would have done. Some of these lines said, ironically, like that, as they're just totally walking out to fight against the rehabs. You know, this is where I feel like if we are just going to go for this action type film, this is where more of it should have taken place. You know, cops and these rebels and Robocop teaming up against the rehabs and the splatter punks like this. I like the setup here. I like when they're hiding behind the cars. And as this March starts happening between the two sides, like I could have gone with this. If this was done better, it, it doesn't end very satisfyingly as Robocop like literally flies in with a jetpack and blows up a tank. And that's the end. But it is great. I want to, I want to just call out conceptually. This is a wonderful way to escalate to a conclusion. This would feel like a great end to this conclusion if you had the citizens of Detroit besieged by OCP, besieged by the criminals, and Robocop is the, and the cops are their only line of defense. I think it's terrific in concept, but between yeah, this budget and the script, it isn't very inspiring. I hardly was standing to attention, but at least I was paying attention when we get to the third act here. I think that this jetpack thing is just so fucking lame. And it <laughs> it's a stupid idea, first of all. What? You don't like flying robots? Jet- come on, the hoverboard in Back to the Future 2. Who didn't want to fly? I mean, come I'm on. Not a, I'm not opposed to flying. I just think that it's a bastardization of the RoboCop concept. It reminded me of later seasons of Knight Rider when Kit wasn't just fast, but he actually had these aerodynamic foils that transformed his body. He basically became a transformer to go even faster. Robocop was badass enough. The fact that this thing could make him fly, it's it's annoying that they needed to do that. And then I've harped on the special effects on part one and part two, but none of them look as absolutely (laughs) shitty as Robocop flying in part three. I mean, they can't even get his size consistent. You complain about Ed 209. (laughs) Robocop, he's like, I can't tell where he is in relation to the other things projected behind him. You know what it reminds me of? and An otherwise great movie, the 60s version of Fahrenheit 451, there's this one scene where you get the firemen with their jetpacks, and that's 60s technology. This doesn't look much better. No, it's it's dreadful. And I guess, yeah, if if push comes to shove and you're designing the climax, if they had the money, I would say go jetpack. That would be wonderful to see him take him down from the air. But if it was going to look like this, then maybe he should have just popped up from beneath the sewer. Maybe he should have driven off another parking garage <laughs> and crashed down in the middle of the fray. But yeah, this is not inspiring to see this fight done in this way. It's pretty awful. Again, Supergirl. I'm thinking of Supergirl. Superman 4 and missing it. He blows up a tank and then flies off to go get McDaggart. That is the end of this conflict. Like the best part of this film when these cops and these punks and all these gangs, they're getting ready to fight and they're shooting literally ends up with a blown up tank and moving on. It's so disappointing. Yeah. The fight should be with the people that he spends more time with Nico and Lazarus, um, who is a pointless character throughout the movie. After she resurrects Robocop, she has no function, but she's hitting ham radio and telling everyone to, you know, rally against OCP. Like they couldn't look outside their window and see what was going on it it's a completely useless broadcast but yeah that's what who he goes and saves i i think that was the mistake he should be there for the citizens in the streets it, it was not the battle to go save the girl and her surrogate doctor mom 
But he does have to have a face-off against the bad guy. And as always, the old man was never the bad guy. I kind of thought he wasn't too, but Stuart, you convinced me otherwise. Here, the CEO isn't the bad guy. It's McDaggett. And so the final face-off has to come between McDaggett and Robocop because that's a fair fight, right? (laughs) And two ninjas because they have more of them, but I guess only two more. I'm not sure. (laughs) And... All right, all right, all right. I, I'd had my fill of this movie at this point, but Robocop defeats the ninjas, and he happily messes one's face up because they didn't hire twin ninjas. <laughs> but after he destroys them... No, 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 he doesn't destroy the ninjas. This is what you're missing, Arnie. He doesn't save the day. Nico, with her little laptop, wirelessly hacks them and gets them to cut each other's heads off because they're kicking Robocop's ass. Like, he doesn't even save the day. And then she they introduce technology we've not seen. In, now there's wireless. There's wireless hacking. She had to run up to Ed 209 and hook her computer <laughs> into him to hack it. Now it's just like, ah, we gotta fucking end this film. Just, okay, magic. Go. <laughs> Alright, good point. I glossed over that. But after that happens... Then McDagger starts crying out, what have you done? This briefcase he's been carrying around the whole time is apparently a bomb. And he's choosing to carry it around, even (laughs) though he has no control over when it's going to detonate. (laughs) And then he goes, you fool, what have you done? This is going to detonate now. And just stands there. Robocop flies away. He then starts dragging himself to the briefcase. What's he going to do? I thought he couldn't disarm the fucking thing. Don't you tell the guy that you have, hey, you destroy these robots, this bomb's going to go off. That's called a deterrent. That was what the whole Cold War was based on. This is like the total opposite. No, blow up everything, and then this is going to blow up, and it's not a deterrent at all. What blows my mind is that McDaggett's like, oh, yeah, this is going to blow up like 20 blocks. RoboCop doesn't get rid of the bomb. He lets it blow up at the top of this building. Like, we're assuming, like, Detroit, downtown Detroit is gone now as he flies off with Lazarus and Nico. I don't think he, does he say 20 blocks because we see the explosion happen and it's so high up in the air, all it destroys is part of OCP. It's a nuclear bomb. There's fallout. This is bad. Was it a nuke or was it? it they said nuclear, but come on. It was just a bomb. It had an explosion. And yeah, what it did was take down the OCP tower. The only thing of Delta City they were able to build. So the future of Detroit, whatever it's going to be, is not going to be OCP. Yeah, they say it will atomize the city. But apparently if it's high up enough. Yeah, it just takes a couple stories off the top. It's like a haircut for a building. The whole thing, I mean, it's just... So painful. But Rip Torn lives to ruin more companies in the future. And we get that, what do they call you, Murphy? They call me Murphy. You call me Robocop. A reversal of the original movie's ending. No, it's it's an acceptance of where they want to go. No identity crisis anymore. It's kind of what they did with Batman 3, you know? They solved the problem. He's Robocop, and there will be no more discussion about this. All future sequels, rah, 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 it's going to be about what toys he has. It's not going to be what's going on in his mind. The human is incidental anymore. He's a robot. So, Jacob, Stuart, why don't you recommend RoboCop 3? <laughs> Jacob. What? You, th- you think I, I'm not going to recommend this? Come on. You're the fan, so if anyone's going to, <laughs> it's your stage. Defend it. I even have standards. <laughs> My fandom, I really enjoy the first Robocop. That second one, it was a nice surprise rewatching it. There was some pleasure in that film. This one, this is 
uh, an exercise in incompetency. You know, I, I think the perfect metaphor for this film is that secret code to where the rebels are hiding a a transparency that you just stick on a map there there's no puzzle to it there's it's simple and yet it makes no damn sense like what is going on in this film they robocop's barely in it you got robot ninjas that are totally incompetent everything in this film is incompetent i i could see why ocp went bankrupt and well again maybe that's a metaphor for this franchise going bankrupt because it really feels like it has lost its soul at this point strong not recommend Stuart, it's bad but maybe not any worse than what i imagined i mean robocop 2 was somebody that was you know trying and they didn't pass the class they did not get a passing grade here Robocop's been expelled. I mean, he's at the special school now. I mean, I can't even compare it with what was happening before. This is at a lower grade. And the nicest thing I can say is if you just want a cheesy 90s sci-fi grimy junk, I suppose that this would be easy to watch. It's horrible to watch as the conclusion of the Robocop trilogy. Horrible. It has nothing of what I loved about that first one in it at all. It has been kidified, but maybe that's what you want. And if you're okay with that, I would say that this would be an acceptable episode of the TV show. I know that there was a TV show that came not long after this, and I suspect that this is the quality of, of what was on that show. It's junk. And it's it's a pretty strong not recommend, but I guess I can at least qualify it by saying that on its own merits, uh, you might be able to pass it as acceptable junk. But for me, this is a tragedy. And I can't allow you to malign that TV series that you haven't seen by saying <laughs> this is the same as that. I mean, the TV series is no great shakes. I'm not going to stand up and down and say it was classic television, but it's it's at least more consistent and more well-paced and builds upon itself with a more complex story than anything here. That TV series was aimed squarely at teenagers, much like a lot of that syndicated sci-fi of the time was like War of the Worlds and those kinds of shows. Highlander, yeah. That's what it looks like. RoboCop 3 is, like the cartoon series, really set at a single-digit mentality. If you are 10 or less, and your parents let you watch PG-13, and you want to see RoboCop, or if you are over 10, but have the mentality of someone 10 or less, go see this. There's a line in the movie here. Fleck is talking about how all the executives are committing suicide. And he says, I need a bullet myself. It's less showy. Well, I got the gun. Not recommend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I think what you're saying is what I was saying, that, yeah, this is just a different curriculum now. They cannot even be held to the standards that the second one was. They're just making junk for children. And maybe that's okay with you. I mean, I, I can see that you might not think it's as bad as we made it sound. No, you see, I, I still think that this is poorly made and written, whereas I don't think all children's entertainment has to be. This is obviously dumbed down for kids. This is obviously kidified with its humor and its Mary Sue character of Nico. But I don't think that it's fair to just clump it in and go, oh, it's kids entertainment. All kids entertainment is like that. Because it's not. I mean, we reviewed Gremlins, which was a kid's film. 
I don't think anyone is saying that the, all kids' entertainment is like this. I'm saying that some children may not see the big deal with how horrible we package this movie. They might say, eh, it's whatever. I think that it isn't the worst offense I've ever seen, but only children would enjoy it, if anyone does. I, I put it this way. It was not any worse than what I feared it could be. And I do wonder what comes next. I, I know that we have four more movies before we get to the reboot. Is it David Hasselhoff just putting a pot on his head and calling himself Robocop? <laughs> like, how much more must this fall into degradation before we can get something that's acceptable? I have no illusion that I will recommend anything coming in the next two weeks. Well, we will find out next week when we're reviewing Robocop Prime Directive's Dark Justice. Guys, you gotta. I didn't know which one to watch, so I'm saving our listeners a trip to Wiki. It starts with Dark Justice. Let me try to clarify it. It is Dark Justice. Then we're gonna go to Meltdown. And Stuart, you might have one. We'll see. Mm. Then Resurrection. Will that bring back the series? No. And then uh, a foreboding title, Crash and Burn for part four. <laughs> yeah, I have no doubt that it will live up to that. Listen, I've only seen these once. It was when they were first aired on television. I was so hyped for them. I will talk about that next week. I was a little bit let down, but we'll see. That I saw the, only the edited version. I'm finally going to get to see the director's vision on DVD. We will talk about that next Tuesday. So, Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. I'm glad we had this chance to dialogue. Excuse me. I have to go. Somewhere there is a crime happening. Thank you for joining us for Now Playing's RoboCop Retrospective Series. Bitches leave. Dead or alive, you're going to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new movie review podcast. You have 20 seconds to comply. While there, join our forums to discuss this review with other listeners. Dead or alive, you are coming with me. So give me your money and all of it, and don't fuck with me! Your support helps keep now playing on the air. The line's open. Waiting for your pledge. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our homepage, nowplayingpodcast.com. Well, we need all the help we can get, young man. <laughs> it's only money. You can also find a link to our cafe press store where you can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Now Playing is edited by Heath, Phil, Dylan, and Arnie. They'll fix you. They fix everything. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. Keep him talking. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Though you may think you're having fun now, you only hurt the one you love. The movies discussed in this series properties of their respective trademark holders, and no infringement is intended. It's a free society. Except there ain't nothing free, because there's no guarantees, you know? <laughs> You're on your own. <laughs> there's a lot of jungle. Lion <laughs> Pictures, Metro, Goldwyn, Mayer, Columbia Pictures, the involved with these films. We did what we had to do. 
Now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Okay, let's get out of here. Good night, sweet prince. <laughs> Meanwhile, OCP's stock drops to zero as Lazarus is taken to the air. Why? Fear of Japanese corporations. That was heavy in the 80s and early 90s. I mean, from movies like Gung Ho to that Tom Selleck baseball one. I mean... <laughs> That's what you go to, <laughs> Mr. What is it, Mr. Baseball? It or? was Mr. Baseball. Yes. <laughs> Rising Sun, I think, was the most uh, politically charged one. Michael Crichton. Yeah, saw that one too. <laughs> Went to Mr. Baseball. <laughs> <laughs> the not the rehab. Yeah, the rehabs. I somehow went into Star Wars action news. The repros. <laughs> As Hold on, I did have something to say. What did they want to say? Pentmobile. Oh, yeah, okay. Um. You gotta feel bad for Robert John Burke, though. Do you know that this movie, they did so cheap, they wouldn't even make him his own Robocop suit, and he was wearing Peter Weller's the whole time, and it was, like, a little too small for him? Did he have to recycle mime coaches as well? <laughs> yeah, apparently he suffered, like, severe back problems for some time after this movie from being bent wrong in that damn plastic suit. Oh. 